You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. We all know that healthcare is expensive, we want high quality, low price. And today we want to talk about how do value-based purchasing and guidelines work together to help improve the overall quality of care for patients. Joining us today to discuss this issue, the call for value-based purchasing, how can guidelines help the practicing gastroenterologist, is Dr. Joel Brill, Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Arizona School of Medicine and Chief Medical Officer of Predictive Health, LLC, in Phoenix. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Brill. Thank you very much, Jay. What is value-based purchasing? Well, in its simplest manner, value-based purchasing is a concept which helps purchasers, such as Medicare or private companies or private insurers, avoid unnecessary costs and keep the focus on the quality of care. That sounds good, but what does it mean? Well, gosh, if we knew what it truly meant, we'd be off consulting and helping other people on it. I think the the way of looking at it is the following. There is a perception amongst people in the government and people in the community that are people getting the value that they expect or anticipate that they should be getting for the money they spend. People are looking at things such as the fact that U.S. healthcare spending is quite high And yet outcomes, for example, for immunization or kids' health or cancer survival might not be as high as it might be in other countries. And so this concept of value-based purchasing has arisen and people are looking at making sure that they're getting the value for the dollar that they spend. Well, that sounds reasonable. I think you've said this already, but let's say it specifically. What are the goals of these types of programs? Well, there are several goals. For example, in the Medicare program, the concept of value-based purchasing, as we said, is about making sure that, that Medicare beneficiaries are receiving the highest quality services for the dollars that they spend. So an example might be in gastroenterology. The focus could be on making sure that people have had colorectal cancer screening. Or the focus could also look at things such as making sure that people are receiving services for follow-up, for screening, for example, at appropriate intervals. Not too much and not too little? Just right. Okay, very good. How do we go ahead and begin to start measuring the impact and proving to people that there is value and there's quality? Well, The definition of value and the definition of quality, we have to separate the subjective from the objective. I'm reminded of the Supreme Court justice who was once asked about his definition of pornography, and he said, I'll know it when I see it. And I think as physicians, we're faced with that as a dilemma. What we may perceive as quality may not necessarily be what our patients perceive as quality. So we have to be very, very clear up front in those definitions. Does quality mean that we had 
someone who greeted the patient by name, of course, in a HIPAA-compliant manner when they came in the, into the office? Does quality mean that they had valet parking for the patient? Does quality mean that results of tests were communicated to the patient and their caregiver within 24 hours of having a test? Does quality mean that the cecum was always reached when a colonoscopy was performed? Or that on the first time the colonoscope was inserted that all possible adenoma lesions were identified and removed? Or does it mean that we make sure that the patient has an appropriate follow-up interval? That, for example, a person with hyperplastic polyps, for example, isn't coming back for follow-up on an every-year basis. So until we define what quality we're looking for, it becomes a little bit hard to define the value that we're looking for within gastroenterology. But goodness knows, there are people who are trying to do that. Well, who are these people and how are they doing it? Well, there are a number of processes. There are processes such as the American Medical Association's Physician Consortium for Performance Improvement, which works with a number of physician specialty organizations, the NCQA and others, in order to develop measures that are perceived to be meaningful. Many of these measures are developed based on guidelines that the specialty societies have developed. Uh, We do recognize that some of the guidelines are evidence-based, some of those guidelines are consensus-based, some of them may even be eminence-based. But the point is that there's a guideline out there which at least serves as a reference point for developing a measure. I've mentioned the AMA process. There's also the um, NCQA process, which develops HEDIS measures, which are often used by health plans and the like. And what NCQA seems to be doing these days is working more closely with these specialty societies to, again, make sure that what is being measured is a meaningful measure. These measures are being developed, and then they're being adopted by health plans, by Medicare, within Medicare's processes for the uh, Physician Quality Reporting Initiative, and others. Medicare requires that a measure must go through something called the National Quality Forum, or the NQF, and that the NQF has to endorse the measure. So if they endorse the measure and they say that the measure is meaningful, then the possibility exists that Medicare will incorporate it into the PQRI system. As a gastroenterologist, who should we rely on to guide us about guidelines? Is this the role of a national society? Is this the role of individuals? And what does the American Gastroenterological Association say about these? Well, first off, I think that whatever measures we're being measured on have to be measures that are accountable, reproducible, and that the literature supports it. And I think that is one of the key roles that our specialty societies perform for us is the ability to to convene consensus, evidence-driven work groups who can review the literature and come up with recommendations, which are then reviewed and vetted by their peers before they are published. I think that's the first key thing. So our societies have to perform that for us. The second question, though, is a more critical one, and that is, what are we measuring? We can create guidelines and we can create measurements about lots of things. But there's a difference between creating a process measure and something called creating an outcome measure. We can measure, and I'll give you a corollary example. 
we can measure how many people get valet parking. That's a process measure. But that does that tell us how many people actually got screened for colon cancer? Of the people who got screened for colon cancer, how do we know how many people had an appropriate screening done on the first time and that lesions weren't missed? So those are the types of things that our societies can perform for us and that when we're developing measures, data registries, measure sets, and the like, we have to be clear that what we're measuring is something that translates into an accountable improvement in an outcome for the patient. So whatever is being measured has to be tied to something that either shows an improvement in health outcomes or a reduction in the consumption of resources that are unnecessary. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights from Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me to discuss the call for value-based purchasing, how can guidelines help the practicing gastroenterologist, is Dr. Joel Brill, Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Arizona School of Medicine and Chief Medical Officer of Predictive Health LLC in Phoenix. Okay, Joel, we have some guidelines. How do we disseminate them, and how do we get them into the hands of the offices of the physicians who are in practice? First and foremost, we're in a world these days where I think it's more electronic and less paper-based. So the first question is utilizing the Internet to disseminate these resources and also partnering with electronic medical record vendors and others so that these guidelines and recommendations can be incorporated into EMR systems. That's where we're going. All right. Well, this all sounds very nice, but it certainly does sound expensive. And it also seems to be labor-intensive. I'm sure you've heard this before. What is the pros and cons in regard to cost of these programs and the resources required? Good question. You know, Everything sounds expensive, and there's no doubt that there's a cost with developing not just an electronic medical record in your office setting, but developing the connectivity. Gastroenterologists are a unique breed in that we provide services in a number of different settings. Our office, our ambulatory surgery or endoscopy center setting, our hospital. And we incorporate information as well coming in from pathology, both anatomic and clinical, uh, radiology, and the like. So when we talk about having an electronic record, we've got to calculate up front that there is going to be a cost in connecting all that information together. Now, the government is promising us that we'll be eligible for subsidies of up to $44,000 per physician if we bite the bullet, jump in with both feet, and get an electronic medical record system up and running by 2011. But that will at least help to defray some of the cost. There's some system issues. There's no question whether you're using a paper-based system or using an electronic endowriter in your ASC, there will be some programming costs necessary in order to capture this information. And you're also going to have to report it. So whether you're reporting it into a registry or whether you're reporting it into some sort of Excel spreadsheet, you'll have to be able to capture the information and report it out to the payers and the purchasers. But there's a reason for doing that. What is that reason? 
because no matter what happens out of Washington with health reform over the next few months' time, it's pretty apparent that there is a sentiment across the economy and across the political parties that we want to pay for the services that are appropriate and necessary. Several years ago, Medicare set out a policy to lay the foundation for a transition to value-based purchasing. We already have some examples of that taking place in the private sector with pay-for-performance initiatives in some states, the Integrated Healthcare Association Project in California and the like. And in these programs, not just primary care physicians, but now specialists are being paid differential based on whether they achieve certain measures or not. Some of the societies, such as surgery or cardiology, have created recognition programs. Physicians who are, quote, recognized, end quote, may be eligible for higher payments by private payers. So slowly but surely, there is this transition. Medicare just recently released an update showing that they were able to improve care for certain conditions in small group practice as well as larger group practice in hospital settings, and they've put their money where their mouth is. They've made some payments. Now, might not be what we think we, we should be getting, but the point is they are starting this process, and we anticipate they'll continue this transition over the years to come. I'd like to thank my guest from the University of Arizona School of Medicine, Dr. Joel Brill. Dr. Brill, thank you again for being our guest this week on GI Insights. Thank you, Jay. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Update your clinical knowledge and improve your delivery of patient care by registering for the 2010 AGA Clinical Congress. By attending, you'll learn from renowned experts in the field who will address the most relevant clinical issues in gastroenterology and hepatology. The Congress will be in Las Vegas January 15th and 16th with an optional add-on sedation course January 17th. Bring your nurse and attend this team-based course to obtain the essential information and hands-on training to safely and effectively administer sedation for GI procedures. Learn more and register today at www.gastro.org slash clinical congress. The American Gastroenterological Association is the trusted voice of the GI community. Our membership has grown to include 17,000 members from around the globe who are involved in all aspects of the science, practice, and advancement of gastroenterology. Discover what the AGA could mean to you. Visit www.gastro.org.